for listening to this episode of Talking Yoga with Joe. In this episode, we learn about the different interests and teachings of Bethany Sarani Joy. I was excited to get Bethany on Talking Yoga because her work, her interests, and life are all very interesting. Bethany is a yoga teacher, a personal trainer, boxing instructor, Reiki practitioner, Ayurvedic masseuse, and a chocolatier. She does so much in the community here in Charleston. It was a real great honor to sit down with her and hear more about her life story. We both also talk about our journey and travels to India, the birthplace of yoga, and this was a lot of fun to record. We just finished a yoga class, and you'll hear how relaxed and quiet we both can be. So without any further ado, Bethany. your class and you had quite the day yeah um, it was very long so thank you for taking your time and sitting down and talking so I'm super impressed by you and like you're you need to like learn it seems like so just to start from the beginning um, you are a yoga teacher mm-hmm. um, personal trainer mm-hmm. in boxing yeah <laughs> um, also a Reiki certified in Reiki yeah um, a chocolatier. Yeah. <laughs> you make chocolate. And am I missing anything else? Um, I do Ayurvedic massage. And massage. Yeah, I learned that in India. But that's generally just for family and friends. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll get to that journey of okay. yours. Um, I guess first question, take me to where you were um, physically when you kind of started on this path. What, what came first and where were you? Was it the yoga practice and... Mm. Um, how did that begin? Specifically with the yoga? Or, or everything? Or with everything, yeah. Um, well, I was living in Scotland. Most of my life's been in Scotland. Um, and I had uh, moved back there after high school from over here. All my family lives over here. And was just working away. All of a sudden, 17, oh, holy crap, got to pay bills. So I just started working. I didn't find much passion in it. But I had always been quite, um, I loved art growing up, always paint. But I didn't really feel like, um, I would paint a picture and then it would just kind of hang there. And not that people can't get feelings and emotions from paintings, but I almost felt that it wasn't far enough for me, that I was missing something. So then my passion really came to food and I decided I wanted to study to be a pastry chef um, so I could create the forms of art and indulge in them as well, <laughs> and then always have a reason to continue to create more. Um, so I studied to be a pastry chef, but I also specialized in chocolate work, having a year apprenticeship in chocolate and French patisserie. And again, all of that was and in this Scotland. this was home in Scotland, in right? In Scotland, yeah. Um, and from there, uh, that passion had never really left. This is the first time in my life, really, that I've taken a little break from that. Um, from there, I... Oh, it's going so far back now. I'm trying to think what what I did after that. Oh, yeah. I moved back to the States because I was at a little crossroad in my life. I really love pastry chefing and I love chocolate and I love the artistic side. But for me, with what I do, it's really important to have purpose behind it. And I almost felt like it was just too much of a luxury and I didn't really see what purpose it had. So I came back to the States where my family were and spent about nine months here. And that's when I found Holy Cow Yoga in West Ashley. And I did my 200-hour training there. And, um, and, and this is in Charleston, in South, South Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. yeah. And that was really, I mean, hugely um, transforming for my life. Um, because especially I was in a place where I didn't really know where I was going. I had just gone through a breakup as well. You know, everything's kind of up in the air. And kind of really went into depression. And then I found through yoga that absolutely nothing physically changed in my life. But by changing my mindset, absolutely everything changed. Just like that. Because I was seeing things differently. And um, while I was practicing that, I started teaching it here in Charleston. Um, And then I got an email randomly one day from uh, one of the top chocolatiers in the world. Um, I had met him in my first year apprenticeship uh, where he was one of the judges for the World Chocolate Masters competition 
and I was the little apprentice from my boss who was competing in the competition. And um, we had sort of become friends since then, messaging every now and again, but I hadn't heard from him in a while. And he um, said he had a project he wanted me to work on, thought, asked if I was interested in it, and that's what took me back to the UK. So I went back into the world of chocolate, um, working for a company called Hotel Chocolat, um, and that's where I really... Started with chocolate, went over to yoga, then yeah, kind of that path, went back to Exactly. The, and oh. at that point, I was kind of, you know, again, I, I didn't really know um, the path, so I was very open to just kind of living until seeing what, what was right. And again, it wasn't an easy decision because I didn't think, okay, yeah, let's go right back to chocolate. Again, it was very important for me to have that purpose. So I started researching everything about the company and that's where I learned the bean to bar process. So before with chocolate, I you buy good quality chocolate in and you make something really tasty and very appeasing to the eye out of it. But there's a process. It's the process from, yes. yeah. Buying the beans, you know, right from the beginning product, grinding them down, creating your recipe, turning it into that chocolate. So everything from every different part of the world is going to taste different, just like a fine wine, same thing with cocoa beans. And also they had a lot of foundations set up in poorer countries that really helped farmers thrive in that area. So that's almost where I found my meaning for it. I didn't, wasn't directly helping, but I was part of something that was a bigger picture. Um, and so I continued to work there. Took me back to Edinburgh, Scotland, and then the job took me to London, um, educating public and students. Um, I was called the Events Chocolatier, so teaching people how to make the process, but also um, health benefits of cocoa, which is a really big passion of mine, because um, it's actually one of the healthiest foods in the world, but we just turn it into something really naughty. So, it's the, like actual the actual cocoa itself. beans. Yeah, so that's is really it just the passion. sugar that's added? It kind of makes sugar it. Sugar that's added, yeah. the way that the cocoa is maybe heated too much or ground too much, it can all affect and strip away some of those health benefits. So that was something that really drove me. However, as life always has its ups and downs, <laughs> I was in London working in events. My hours were crazy. Alcohol was always available on the job. And I found that I just felt so sluggish every sure. day. And I had gained weight, and I just didn't feel connected with myself. I was just on the go. And London is just so uh, fascinating, but overstimulating as well, just in that constant cycle. And I literally just woke up one day, and I had a strong feeling that I just had to go to India. And so I gave in my notice that day, and I booked my flight, and then within a couple months, I was off. And I stayed in India um, for three months. And that's where I did my 300-hour um, in uh, multidisciplinary style yoga and then a 300-hour course in meditation. And on top of that, the Reiki and the Ayurvedic massage. And, um, and hugely transforming as well. Um, don't think that I had ever come back to the source, so to speak so much as when I was there. When everything is stripped away and you don't have that identity of this is my job or this is where I'm from or this is what I have and you're just there. And so that was really new and fascinating. And um, I mean, so many things that you could talk about from there and no doubt you have similar experiences or at least from that part of India. Um, yeah, I think India in itself is so, like you said, transformational. Mm -hmm. And just have an experience like your own where, you know, you went to that um, transformational state, that country, and you got so experienced in all these different areas. You said from yoga mm -hmm. to Ayurvedic massage and Reiki. And this Reiki. was all, was this all at the same time? What was the, what was yeah, your I started out like? with the yoga course. And this was your first yoga training? That was my second. I did my so 200 holy cow. hour here. Yeah. And I wanted to ask, at what point, um, when you got introduced to yoga, you mm -hmm. were a student, did you become, um, where um, you decided to, you were interested in teaching? Yeah, um, I had uh, started yoga a while before that, but never um, in a very disciplined manner. You know, I'd go to the odd yoga class here and there, nothing wrong with that. So I'd go periodically throughout the years from 
a young age, yeah, late teens, early 20s. So okay. I had been exposed to it. And then when I came here, really, when I wanted to do the 200 hour, I mean, I love to teach in whatever that, whatever I'm studying or whatever I, I do. Clearly um, everything. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but I just, really, it wasn't so much about, I want to be a yoga teacher and I want to do this and do that. But really, as you know, it gives you the opportunity to just really delve deeper into the subject. Never mind teaching it to someone else. You're teaching yourself. You know, you're learning about yourself and learning about the um, the subject just in more depth. So that was really my main focus at the time. And then as I became more comfortable with it, I decided to go ahead and teach it yeah. as well. For sure. Like I say mm -hmm. that to so many people, where just the yoga training process not only gives you the tools to teach, but just for yourself, like having that experience, it mm -hmm. for sure deepens your own practice. Yeah. So in India, um, I know from myself, just like it's such an overstimulating um, mm -hmm. sensations of visuals and sights being in that country. Mm -hmm. How is it comparing to, you mentioned you're overstimulating to like London in that environment? Mm. That's a good question, because it is overstimulating, but in a very different yeah, way. it's very different. Yeah, I'm not quite sure off the top of my head how to answer that. I guess I've not thought about that before. You're giving me something to think right. about. <laughs> um, there'll be more questions, but I'll just put you on the spot like that, right? <laughs> I think in India, yeah, it is. It's well, you're so certainly busy. In, in a different routine. Here yeah. you are in India in your um, trainings. Think, I think what was different is that even though it was very busy and overstimulating, I almost found it in a more refreshing way. Do you know what I mean? Then in London I felt in a way that was just, I was always trying to keep up. And in India it was more, everything is so busy, but they really have that art of just being in the moment. And I think that was the difference. It's crazy, but you're in the moment in that craziness. And then in London, it's always about striving for the next thing. And not that this is every experience of a, a Londoner, but just how I felt with the job that I was in at that time. And it's always about the next thing. And uh, being busy is your goal. If you're not busy, then you don't have purpose. You're not really doing anything. You need to be doing something. And it's that and city it that flow constant, too. Exactly. Yeah. It's that constant mindset. And it was almost like an, if I'm honest, like an addiction. Because even when I think about London now, I love it. You know, there's that part that just oh, is really fascinating, really fun. You just want to be in it. But when you're in it, you can't see anything outside. I couldn't imagine why anyone would live anywhere else other than London. This was like the world. You know, I, it must be in every big city, this kind of mentality. And that I began to notice while I was there as well, which I think drove me to just get completely out of it to something completely different. But I wanted to remind myself that this wasn't the world and that my mind didn't have to be, you know, confined to that and go to something very different. So yeah, India, India was, um, was busy, but it was so much about the moment. Didn't you find that? For sure. Yeah. I always think of India as like, it's always the extreme. Like there's nothing in between. Mm. Um, you yeah. know, when it would, <laughs> even with the climate, the weather, when it would rain, I just remember in Dharamsala, like being out in the mountains, it would just pour down. Yeah. Um, when it was beautiful out, it was extremely beautiful. Like there was mm. just not, it was just one or the other. Mm. And even from just that sensation of landing, um, you're just overstimulated with all these different things. Mm -hmm. But to what you said, like everything is, there is a presence you do become more present with everything that's around you. Mm -hmm. There's not so much of a rush um, mm -hmm. in the culture. And we're in similar areas. I know you yeah. did most of your training in Rishikesh. Yeah. And you were a little further up. Yeah, in yeah. Dharamsala. Uh -huh. um, different climates. Yeah. I think. <laughs> Just a little bit. But I would say some pretty similar, um, perhaps, for the, the training process and getting the essence of the Indian culture. Mm -hmm. So you were out there for about a little over a month? Three months. Three months? Yeah. And in addition to your trainings, what else did you find? Um, you're outside that you were sort of looking for on your journey yeah. out there. And 
no joke at all, you know, I, I guess many people say this, but I found the most peace I had ever felt in my whole life. And you just have that time, or maybe it was my circumstance, especially, you know, with the meditation course as well. I mean, your, spin, your main goal of the day is to meditate. And so you really have that time with yourself. And that's not easy, you know, at the beginning. Of course, you're faced with those layers of yourself that probably you've been neglecting or just don't want to admit, you know, that really when you meditate, um, I mean, you really are saying, okay, I'm going to face whatever comes to me. And I noticed that within myself and also with the close group of people that were in the course as well. I mean, we're all kind of on that journey together. And seeing how we changed from the beginning to the end was, was, yeah, it was very, very interesting. It's not like we became different people, but we just kind of stripped those layers away a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Right. And I just felt very connected to the source in the the true self, so to speak, to God, whatever you might want to call it, that inner part of you that's just bigger than the human bodies that we're in, you know, that soul, maybe some will call it. And I felt just very free, and for the first time I could let go of things a lot easier. Um, which is, which you know, I had for never some, had before. For yourself and for everyone, sometimes mm-hmm. that, that is the hardest part, and I think that's what yoga... Mm-hmm. sort of teaches you the asana part you know I think the more that you give into the shape and you let the mm. experience mm. kind of take over you can let go I think that deepens your practice for sure yeah and having an experience like in India or any teacher training where you're spending a lot of time in that in that seated posture in meditation or a lot of time in your yoga practice mm. having an experience like that is extremely transformational you know, one thing I just was thinking of that I noticed, you know, when we're over here in like Western life, we always talk about that awkward silence because like you always must be talking like that's almost the way that you communicate and connect with someone. I remember feeling after the experience there that I almost couldn't communicate very well with words anymore because you had gone to a deeper level that when you were with people, you didn't even have to say anything and you were just connecting with people there, just with their energy, the energy you felt from them, from sitting there. And whenever I would try and communicate and use my words, I just felt like I couldn't really say much of anything of worth. Like it was almost not even, you know, didn't matter anymore. And so it was almost like reverse. It was like the awkward talking (laughs) instead of the awkward silence. And I thought that was very interesting. Awkward silence right now. Just pause it. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. I, I sort of somewhat noticed this after I started my yoga practice where I just became so much more aware. I don't want to say of my awareness, but so much aware of what was going on around me. Do you, did you find yourself in that state where you just became aware of that um, a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's like... The way of communicating. In, in communication, conversation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it just kind of happened. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, you're in those situations where maybe, um, especially when you come back to normal life and in the West, you know, and that changes everything. And then you just have those situations where you're talking and you don't really feel like you're saying much. And you'd rather just sit there and enjoy the presence more. Is that kind of what you mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. I just kind of, I guess the experience of going from one place to the next really highlighted it for me. Um, because everyone's at their own level, and it's not to say that, oh, if you meditate, then you're on this higher level or anything. Definitely not. You know, it's all just about getting to know yourself more. And it's not that everyone in India is really connected and everyone in the West is necessarily not. But I did feel, especially in Rishikesh, that there was this, it was almost like the society promoted that kind of living. So it was almost not any expectations of you to be this or be that or talk this way 
or whatever. So it's almost like you're on a same level, but not necessarily meditation or yoga, but even just society-wise, where it was okay to just, like it was promoted to go deeper inside mm. and get to know yourself more. And I, that might not be at all like the whole of India, but especially in Rishikesh, I did feel that. That promotion, that push. Yeah, that was the lifestyle. That yeah. whenever, you know, I mean, the, all the doctors are Ayurvedic doctors. Do you know what I mean? I went to an Ayurvedic doctor uh, when I first got there and he recommended, he wrote down on my prescription specific yoga postures and that I needed to meditate and, you know, different natural foods. And, like, that's what's promoted. If you're having issues in this part of your life, well, you need to go deeper. What's really going on inside you? Where in the culture that I've grown up in the UK and over here, sometimes it's not very much that way. It's looking for the external. And I don't think that that's because there's something wrong with us. I just think that's what we've been conditioned to think ever since we were born. And until we're kind of challenged to think otherwise, we don't always think otherwise. You know what I mean? What so, about all these prescriptions from all these pills? I'm sure they're very beneficial <laughs> for the body, right? I mean, for which one? For the pills over here? Yeah, right. They're so <laughs> great. No, I I yeah. know totally what you mean. It's it's yeah. wild, and you know, this is something I really bugs me, and it kind of sticks to your mind, you know, when it comes to well, money industry and uh, some things in in the Western culture do make sense um, yeah. that fit right as opposed to Eastern. I think cities are great. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's great people working together in communities. There is a lot of that in, in Eastern culture, but mm -hmm. that's fascinating how you can write a prescription and you have an injury and uh, an instructor mm -hmm. or his doctor says, do this asana and this, and yeah. you, know, you are healing your body. Yeah, I think we're coming within. that way over here. Yeah. And again, like you say, you know, these are the positives that I might have felt from the experience over there. But not for a second do I not feel privileged to be from, you know, the UK and the USA. I have dual citizenship of both countries. I feel blessed, count my blessings every single day for that. You know, because even being over there, it's like you say, you're in those extremes. You see this wonderful world and living right next to it is also not very nice things mm -hmm. that you'll come in contact with. And even being a woman, you know, just being a Western woman over there in the same city where all these other women have grown up, you know, I can go and just be free and be feel, know that I'm going to feel safe in Rishikesh, I always felt safe, and be protected. And in my culture, that's what I've been taught, that I am equal and that I can do what I want to do and that my gender is not going to stop me from doing that. But that's not the way that also is over there, you know. So there are so many things that are wonderful and terrible <laughs> from both sides, you know. And that highlighted that as well, that sometimes the grass is always greener. Mm. But realistically, we pick what helps us and we leave what doesn't. But if you're really in that situation, just like we are over here, you have to accept all sides. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And kind of make, make of it what you can. But powerful Bethany by yourself going out to India. Yeah. This was all your journey solo, correct? Mm -hmm. um, that's, I mean, that's challenging for a lot of people, women, mm -hmm. men. I myself went out mm -hmm. by myself, but what kind of, what advice would you give? Maybe there's a Western woman individual looking to go out to India and it has that resistance mm -hmm. from your experience what advice or what, what would you say to that person looking to go on that journey? I mean, obviously you need to plan and make sure you're going to be safe. But it's really just letting go of that fear. Because I don't think I've had much of that fear because my parents were missionaries when I was growing up. And so that's what ended us, ended with, a, you know, or what caused us to travel a lot. And my parents being from different places. So from as young as five months old, they were taking us all over the world. And then me and my sister would travel by ourselves, visiting family from one country to the next. And then when I was a teenager, I was traveling by myself. So I was very privileged to, for my parents to bring me up in the situation to show you can travel the whole world by yourself 
if you need to get somewhere, you can get somewhere because you've been growing up doing it. You know what I mean? So my parents were the same. They also traveled by themselves when they were younger, and that's how they ended up meeting each other. Um, Out in East Africa, actually, they met, and they both had traveled there. So it was almost, again, it's that conditioning of what you're brought up with. And, you know, uh, and so it was never really too much of an issue for me. When I had gone out to India, though, it was a little bit of a different story because... Um, you think it was just a higher level of traveling? Well, also because the places I had gone in the past, like even if I had gone to Africa, family members could relate. Even my grandparents, they'd been traveling their whole lives. My granddad was a reverend in the Baptist church in um, London for many years. And after he retired, he would travel solo to places into his old age, we would just get random photos sent to our house. He'd be on a camel in the middle of Egypt. So, you know, he's even gone to North Korea secretly and all this. So, um, not, not so secretly. <laughs> not so secretly. <laughs> well, no, they knew he was there. Right. But you know what I mean. And uh, so it was always just, that's what I was surrounded by. But no, no one in my family had been to India. So that was a bit different. But really... As long as you find, I think it's always good to find, um, not necessarily a group to go with, but people that you're going to be meeting there. And I often find that if you're in the right place, especially when you're a foreigner, and you're in a place where a lot of foreigners like to go, they're going to want to welcome you and make sure that you're safe and make sure that your experience is fine. And I didn't meet anything but really friendliness and safety in Rishikesh. I know it's not like that in some of the bigger cities, mm. but in Rishikesh I knew that it, it was um, safer like that. So I had a place to go as soon as I got there, and the um, organization that I was with had set up a taxi from the airport to their place, and that's one thing I've always liked. That's the only part of the journey, even when I traveled elsewhere in the world, arriving at the airport and getting to where you need to go, that's a little nerve-wracking that's key. part. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I like whoever I'm meeting, whatever organization, or even if it's just a person that you know, that they almost, being from that area, can set up that part of the journey for you, um, or at least give you advice about it. Because you just don't always know what to expect. You don't know the culture, you don't know the language, you don't know when you're being taken advantage of and when you're not. You know, So to have that, I think, for me, is very key. I get nervous if I don't have that. <laughs> Yeah. That's cute. That's yeah. great advice because that's <laughs> usually like the last thing that I do. I've been in situations where I'm at the airport. I'm like, okay, yeah. what's next? How am I getting to this next? Yeah. Well, that's uh, kind of freeing, but <laughs> a little bit and, and nerve wracking. Yeah. Uh, but that's great advice too because in India, yeah, you want to just be prepared. Um, so it sounds like it's a traveling is just in your DNA. This was kind of like yeah. something you were prepared for just because you've. It's all within, and it's and it's, it's it's been in your journey since you were little. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there's so much more to see. I don't feel like I've even traveled much in my life, to be honest, <laughs> compared to everywhere that there is in the world to see. Wow. Yeah. So in in India, after your your trainings, what was next after that part? Did you go when, right into instructing? Well. Go? When I was there, the plan was to go right back to London. Um, my job, they said I could have my job, that it was waiting for me. When, actually, when I gave my notice, they offered for me to take a sabbatical um, for the three months. And then my landlord um, said that she could keep my room open for three months. And so I am one for trying to listen to the universe. And when all those things started falling in place, you know, I thought, well, maybe I should just go back to London. And it was still on my mind when I was out there, oh, I should just go back to London. And for some reason, I just felt a really big, um, oh, I just felt a really big feeling <laughs> or urge that I needed to be back in the States. And I had spent so much, I left home when I was 17 to go back to Scotland. And since then I had come back for a couple of weeks, you know, once or twice a year to visit family. And I have a good relationship with my family, but I had never really had the opportunity to build that adult relationship because I had been away those years. And I really felt that that was important. And my sister, you know, building a relationship with her as well um, as an adult and my brother-in-law, now they have a little boy as well. And I wanted to be an auntie that, you know, my nephew was going to know as, I, as he grows up. 
And so it was. I think that was a, a, an important part as well. But to be honest, I just didn't really know why, other than that my family was here and I missed them. But I just felt like I needed to be here. And I was up for just giving it a go. So I came here just having faith that I was going to figure out what that was, really. And this may or may not be, is part of the journey for sure, the boxing, and it may not be the reason, the core reason why I moved back, or maybe it is, but boxing actually was something that I did when I was a lot younger, in my late teens. So um, this was going to ask you, so this is in pre- Carolina. This is pre-yoga. Yeah, pre-yoga, pre-everything. It was boxing, <laughs> pre-everything, yeah. before the chocolate. Before the chocolate. Wow. Um, and I started uh, boxing just down in Somerville. My coach, he was called Lonnie. He's still around, lives in Somerville area. He's like a second, he was like a second dad at that time. And it was very much a place that you go to train to fight. So it wasn't really any question, oh, are you going to fight or not? That's what you did. You went there, you trained to fight. And, um, but I was never really aggressive. I wasn't an aggressive person. But what I loved about boxing was how much there was to learn. So much skill, so much technique, never ending. Take a lifetime to be a master. Same with chocolate, same with yoga. Mm. Maybe a few lifetimes <laughs> to be a master at anything. And I just loved that about boxing. And so it fascinated me, just continually learning more. Um, and so I competed. I had three fights when I was younger, undefeated. but I never won on a knockout because I didn't have it in me to punch that hard I won on on points because I worked on that technique so much so I would land the punches but I think I got hit harder (laughs) (laughs) I was the one that left with most bruises but I won the fights because all that technique that really fascinated me about the sport Um, and I wasn't even going to move back to Scotland after that unless I could continue training and I had found a club but when I got over there, I just didn't feel right. You have to really trust your coach, you know, because you're heading into a fight, um, and it's dangerous. And I didn't really feel, feel at that moment that I had that trust. So anyway, I ended up, you know, um, not really continuing with boxing for that first couple of years. It happened to come back in and out of my life. You know, I'd have personal training and boxing. I was being trained, you know, at a gym, or go to this club and that club, and carry on a lot of the training but not the fighting and then back in the UK I didn't have any of it in my life and then I was here and uh, my dad said oh you need to check out this club that opened up not far from here title boxing and I thought at that point I was so connected right because I'd just come back from India and you know what we were just talking about just feel on a deeper level and I believed in like fulfilling your dreams and going after them and nothing stopping you and um, and I remember saying to my dad one day I said you know they're looking for trainers I said it's you know I've written in you know plans the goals that I've wanted to achieve for so long that I've always wanted to be a boxing coach you know and then I just went I thought you know what if it is possible to really live out all of your dreams he said well go for it so I did, and I ended up having the job within a couple of weeks, and now I teach group fitness classes there, boxing on the heavy bags, and I also treat uh, personal train clients specifically in boxing, um, and that's what I've been doing for about six months now. So, And what I love, again, I think what's changed in me, though, and what I find quite fascinating is yoga and boxing, for me, are very similar. I think sometimes it can be frowned upon as very aggressive, or even from fighters, yoga is like this, you know, feminine thing. Even though it was designed by men for men originally, it's like it seems like it can be opposites, right? Opposites, yeah. and it's almost like people, and not complete generalization, but sometimes you can meet people from both extremes that view the others as the extremes and almost don't like them, think that they're maybe bad or. And I actually find so much the same because yoga and boxing is training the mind and training the body. You can't be a good fighter if you're losing it in your mind. Yeah. You know, you have to keep it together. And if you keep it together and you stay focused, everything else will come. 
don't even need to worry about the rest. You show up and train your body every day, your, your body's going to be trained. But if you're not doing anything with your mind, and you're letting it run wild, then your body's not going to stay there. You flip it, and it will. Train the mind, everything else will follow. And it's the same from yoga. You know, we're often taught in, from a very young age to uh, how to control everything on the outside how to control this or the job or the work or the relationship or the friends, how to try and keep everything in control. But actually we haven't even trained the mind at all and it runs wild and that's why everything else comes so uncontrollable or why we always feel um, or often feel the victim, right? Often we feel the victim or we feel lucky because in our minds we're very small, we don't have that control, but actually really you know, we are powerful beyond measure, but we have to realize it first, and that comes from training the mind. So I find a lot of the similarities between the two. And when I teach boxing, I teach breathing techniques, I teach meditation, even if people don't always realize it. And when I'm, uh, you know, teaching yoga as well, and I'm focusing on that mind, I'm focusing on even physically, building up the body, the strength, because it will translate to the mind too. So both go hand in hand for me. For sure, 100%. Sorry, I spoke a lot there. No. <laughs> I think for the two, um, they're both very physical. Yeah. Right? And like you said, I love how you brought up like the mental part of it as well, the concentration that you need. Mm -hmm. um, if someone has a fist coming right towards you you need to know how to react and know how mm -hmm. to defend yourself um what is that because they're both very um physical what is that sensation um and what are the similarities between you know at the end of your um, boxing class compared mm -hmm. to at the end of your yoga training class because mm -hmm. i know they can be very similar because you've used yeah. up your adrenaline um but is there something um, related between between that state of relaxation after? Um, I think there is a release. I wouldn't say after boxing that I feel relaxed. <laughs> really? But I do feel released. You feel good. You feel positive. I mean, even on a scientific, you know, scientifically and biochemical level, I mean, things happen in the body to give you that release as well and yoga and boxing and everything. Um, so there is that relaxation going on in the body, more so, I would say, than the mind. It is a little bit stimulating. So you're having to stay controlled in a very stimulating atmosphere. That's also a lovely thing, relationship with yoga. You know, we stay in postures that are uncomfortable to learn how to be relaxed in really uncomfortable situations so we can go out into the real world and still stay relaxed in situations that are really crap <laughs> you know I love I mean? that you said that in class yeah. uh, earlier today and I think that's something that is so powerful uh, because we need to know how to stay calm yeah even in those challenging situations and I think that shows in the yoga practice and in boxing as well yeah and I yeah. think that you know um, someone oh, it's in a book maybe you read it but I can't remember which <laughs> book now um, but someone had described um, us like uh, I believe like water flowing through a river and everything is just it's not powerful it's just water flowing, flowing. easy you know you pick up whatever you splash it it's nothing but then when you build a dam you see how powerful that water is so we're that water and we don't realize our power until we're tested until we're challenged and for me the yoga, it does give me that challenge, of course, but it almost teaches me how to stay more relaxed. And boxing, for me, is like that challenge. Okay, I've learned everything from yoga, from this class. Okay, how can I translate that into my real life? Well, let me go to a highly stressful situation where I'm getting hit in the face, <laughs> you know, or I'm shifting 100 pounds on that heavy bag with every punch that I throw. And I'm working my body to those stressful levels where... I don't even know if I can go any longer. And then how can you bring in that teaching? And then you realize that if you stay controlled in your mind and you stay focused and you realize that your mind is more powerful than the body, 
and that you're more powerful than you think, then you notice that strength and you realize how strong you are as a human being. Because it really isn't, it, you know, again, it's not, you can train that body, but it's the mind that takes you to the end of that boxing class or that end of that fight. So it's almost like that's my test for me. I try and learn how to be chilled and relaxed and at peace. And then I challenge myself with the boxing. Can I still retain that in a highly stressful situation? But of course, yoga can give you that too. When you have fighters that are really tough, and then they go into their first yoga class, and they're like, holy crap. <laughs> There's such a complementary yeah, you know I mean? process yeah. to, the, to both. Yeah. I don't think it was until India that I really saw how powerful the mind is mm. from taking a nidra yoga um, class, mm. just sleep yoga, mm-hmm. where in Shavasana for over a long period, I think it was over an hour, um, but just seeing in that state where the mind can go, witnessing mm. your emotions, where your mind can wander. And it wasn't until that moment that I really felt and realized, mm-hmm. wow, my thoughts, my mind, all of this is way more powerful than my body. Because mm. in the end, you know, you're not your body. You're not mm. your mind. Uh, yeah. you're, you're something much more powerful and higher than that. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure. Um, really quick, I was going to say, mm-hmm. before the first meditation class um, that I taught in the States, and this was after India, mm-hmm. this was in New York, actually the day before I was leaving. Because you're from there, aren't you? Right, yeah. yeah okay. So this was the day before I was leaving to move to Charleston, South mm-hmm. Carolina. Uh, I was teaching my first meditation class at this studio that I was doing administrative work for. And I got really into boxing on a heavy bag that was mm-hmm. in my garage. Mm-hmm. Um, I go out there for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and I just love the sensation because I just, I would feel relaxed after mm-hmm. just whacking away on this bag. I, I don't know if I had good technique or anything. You'd probably <laughs> still kick my butt, but I just love getting out there and mm-hmm. just hitting. Cool. So I did it for a little bit and I went right to teaching my first meditation class and I didn't think about it I just did it and then I realized wow I feel so relaxed right now Uh because it's just it was opposites I felt like Mm -hmm. um, where one was very destructive and you know you're you're using a lot of power you're you know Mm -hmm. there's the sensation in the hitting of a heavy bag Mm -hmm. and then just that sensation of letting go and being somewhat peaceful yeah and I loved complimenting the two and I think it's really cool yeah. that you're incorporating that in your lifestyle it's nice teaching. to hear that you felt that too <laughs> yeah that's yeah. so cool so I'm going to put you on the spot now uh-huh. I'm going to throw a few questions at you okay. don't even think I'm not good at that but I'm trying you're on an island stranded oh no I've got game. what book you just have one book that you're going to bring before you go to this place where you're going to spend like six, seven months by yourself, what book are you bringing with you? I have two in mind. (laughs) (laughs) The first one that popped into my head is the Yoga Sutras. Any Um, particular uh, version or commentary? Yeah, I have one, but I don't know who. (laughs) I'd have to check on that one for you. But any Um, Yoga Sutra? Yeah, but definitely with commentary on it, otherwise I wouldn't really have much of a clue. (laughs) <laughs> what I was talking about I like even just the Sanskrit <laughs> yeah just Sanskrit itself. Right. <laughs> um, and also Bhagavad Gita I love that that's my favourite book and I always think about that um, and the, the, you've read the Bhagavad Gita I've been like on and off through it I've actually because I drive everywhere to all my classes mm-hmm. um, it's really nice listening to an audio mm-hmm. um, book of it so I'll just drive and, and I'm listening to a translation uh, or commentary of it now. Mm-hmm. I have the Bhagavad Gita as is. I haven't mm-hmm. dug deep into that. Mm-hmm. So I just like it because, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, then it's the um, it's just like that conversation between you and your inner self or God or however you might describe that. Just constantly questioning yourself to be curious and as my um, yoga teacher from Holy Cow said just always be curious and don't take anything as absolute and so the whole book is just that conversation of this 
gentleman who's going through a battle. But in the book, it's that physical battle. But really, as we discover, it's more that internal battle, which I think that we all know, obviously, no doubt, go through. Mm. And what's most frustrating about the book, but also what's most wonderful about the book, is that they never give you any answers. <laughs> <laughs> this is the answer. Yeah. This is the, yeah. <laughs> and often when we're in those challenging times, we just want someone to tell us what the answer is. But the Bhagavad Gita just challenges you to find that answer for yourself. And what is, and every answer is specific to every individual person. And so I think that would be very important if you're out there stranded on an island and you're just alone with your thoughts going a bit crazy <laughs> and you're in that battle, that internal battle, and it's just you and yourself and I think that would be very good to have that at hand and to help be curious about those thoughts that are going through the mind or those emotions that you're feeling and what the answer is for you or what your purpose is being there, stranded. I think I would need a bit of the Bhagavad Gita for that one. Two powerful yeah. texts. The sutras, for sure, I would agree. Yeah. And the Bhagavad Gita, maybe with the translation on the side. Yeah, definitely. definitely. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really in-depth and yeah. definitely highly suggested to anyone um, during a yoga training, maybe to get inspired. Yeah. I think books are also great to deepen your own practice. You know, yeah. sometimes as teachers you can get stuck, but, you know, 100%. open up a book and, you know, start learning from the text, and I think it's great. Definitely. Agree. So what one, would you take? Well, what would I take? So, it's a good question. I thought about this. Uh -huh. uh, Shantaram, I got in India, and it's. Have you heard of this uh -huh. book? Highly suggest it. It's um, about an Australian, and this is all true story. This uh, guy is in Australia. He was a heroin addict. Um, was a criminal. Gets mm -hmm. locked up in jail. Um, escapes from an Australian jail. A prison mm -hmm. um, is on the run, goes out to India, um, lands in Bombay, and this whole story is about his journey in Bombay. It's a thick, thick book, mm. but it's so from cover to cover, amazing. What did you say the name was again? Shantaram. Shantaram. And this guy, uh, Gregory, um, Gregory Richard, I think his name. I can look it up, but he has this amazing journey I mean the things that he gets into you're reading it and you don't think it's real like mm. you know it's it's crazy mm. um, I think they're making it into a movie Johnny Depp is like producing alright I think it would be yeah, alright that sounds good I think it would be cool <laughs> to see it into like a series or something but uh -huh. definitely suggest it that's on my top book um, I think that in the sutras cool. those are great um, I also really like documentaries so any documentary that mm. do you enjoy documentaries yes I love them right can't get enough yeah, they're so. I think they're cooler than movies. Yeah. But um, what's your favorite documentary if you had to choose now that you'd recommend? My favorite documentary. I don't know. I watch just any random one that comes along. <laughs> I have to give I like that. It. I'm not supposed to give it thought, but I'm trying to give it thought. Um, <laughs> any particular genres of documentaries that you like? Things on like history or social. I like social. things on health. Health. Yeah. I like things on um, challenging you to think outside of the box in regards to health and, um, and the world and what's really happening. And again, it's all that conditioning. What we grow up to believe is the right way to live and actually how, not to get all depressing and all that, but actually how we're very controlled by everything down to what we eat. That's probably what I watch the most of nutrition, food, diet, how we, what goes into it, what we're um, tricked into believing, but also hold, trying, helps me to try and hold myself accountable because I think that having that knowledge is harder, like when you make, uh, watch documentaries and you're exposed to you know, this new knowledge, it, it's like when you, same thing with yoga, when you have the knowledge of maybe what you think or you believe or your personal convictions of what's right and wrong. Hmm. But out of convenience, you go and live another way. You now, because you have that knowledge, you have more responsibility. So it's harder to live the opposite way. 
Do you know what? I'm not explaining very well. But I guess what I'm trying to say is even in regards of things like um, the way that um, other creatures are treated, animals and all of that, to produce just a nice taste on our tongue. I'm not about to sit here and say that I don't eat meat on the odd occasion, definitely enjoy a bit of ice cream, you know, right. all these kind of things. Um, I do, my diet is predominantly vegetarian, but if I constantly reminded myself every day of what other beings had to suffer through, um, to have just that nice taste on my tongue, then, you know, no doubt it would cause me to, much li to live a much different way. And so I find that when I watch the documentaries, it gives me, me that boost and it reminds me, actually, I don't need to just go along with the daily grind and live with what people are telling me I should be living or should be eating or, you know what I mean? It's so refreshing. It challenges refreshing. you to think a bit more about how you're living your life. So that's generally what I watch the most of, health and food. Have you seen uh, Cowspiracy? Um, it's on Netflix. Yeah, I please. don't think I have because I've seen it on Bethany, there. Please watch but I it. I haven't seen it's that. It's right one. up your alley. Um, yeah, it, it talks a lot about um, the mass production of meat and just uh -huh. cows um, being in these cattle and, and farms and ranches mm -hmm. and the methane. How quickly that it's um, it's one of the big factors of killing the ozone layer, the earth, um, with their like parts their methane's going mm -hmm. up so these guys are really great at digging deep into it mm -hmm. um and it's like scary in a way yeah petrifying yeah environmental and also yeah um health and yeah so you said you're mostly vegetarian yeah but eat how many do you how much meat yeah just weekly no um probably not even weekly i'll eat it generally if my mum's made a nice meal with some meat in it. But again, right. it's that convenience. Do you know what I mean? Do you think it's a culture too? No, it's culture. Yeah. Because in India, in Rishikesh, no meat at all. No meat. It was like forbidden. And, and the cow is cow very, sacred. very sacred, yes. Yeah. And I would love it because the cows were treated, so, I mean, other animals weren't treated so well. Donkeys, per donkeys, they weren't treated well. It really broke my heart when I see them over there. The crazy monkeys. The, oh my God, scary. They yeah. tear, you, tear you apart. But the cows were treated so well. They take them down to like the ponds and the waterfalls and they'd scrub them. I have this wonderful picture of this waterfall just pounding on top of a cow's face and it just looks like it's smiling and just having the time of its life. And you're just walking down the street next to the cows, you know, they have the freedom. Um, but you don't, I never even once for a moment missed the meat. I mean, I had been vegetarian several months here and then not, several months and then not. So on and off. But over there, I never even missed it because all of the flavors and the spices, and never mind even the flavors that are fulfilling you. You're eating things that are actually really good for your body. So your body is fulfilled. It's not looking for something else, you know? And then I continued to be vegetarian when I came back over here. But again, down to culture and convenience, it sneaks in every now and again now. What a difference uh, the culture makes between these cows, like being under waterfalls and having this such peaceful life, and then here we're just branding all our food, I know, these slapping Indian cows, it I hope they're thankful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Realizing how blessed they are compared to other cows out there in the world. Yeah, just the fast food industry, how much of an emphasis yeah. on these big burgers and burgers stacked on top of burgers. It's, it's yeah. pretty wild. And, you know, I'm not opposed to, you know, because a lot of the, I know it's a whole other conversation, but, you know, a lot of people say it's natural and all that. But you know what? If it's down to survival and you need something to eat and you kill an animal, that's natural. But mass producing the meat like we do in our culture is not natural. And that's what is a struggle. That's what I like to watch on the documentaries, opening my eyes up to that a bit more. Because we can always trick ourselves, you know. Oh, you know, I need the meat. Or everyone tells us we need this or we need that. But do we actually? We need to find the information for ourselves and so again the whole it's natural yeah I'm down if I was you know starving and something was going to kill me for food and I needed to survive that's a basic instinct of like every creature survival and you have to kill a fish or whatever 
you know, that's natural. But again, treating animals the way that we do to mass produce and having all the waste that we do of those animals that are just dying needlessly and treating them the way that they are, that's not natural at all. That's what I have more of the issue with. And you know I think I mean? it's life. Life yeah. eats life. Yeah. I mean, it's all around us. We eat plants. Yeah. They're a form of life. And yeah. And put that in our system and it's all... But I agree. Mass, I mean, the production of, of animals is it's a whole other story and a yeah. whole other part of all this. I don't think we always realize it until it's blatantly put there in front of us. I remember I had to read that book um, by Sharon Gannon, Vegetarianism, um, in my first yoga course in, uh, here in Charleston. And I remember we were even watching a documentary on the same day that we were discussing the book. And I remember asking my teacher, but just, you know, I just keep forgetting. Right? I keep saying, I just keep forgetting. You know, I know the importance. I know how horrific it is. And then I just... I forget, it doesn't really matter, you know, it's there and it's food. And she said, just close your eyes and sit up tall. And so we just sat there. And then a few moments later, she said, now pick your posture back up. You know, immediately, just like that, we had already left our posture. We had forgotten about the posture. She was trying to make the point that it's constantly reminding yourself. You have the responsibility to do that. You know, we sit there, we fall out of posture, constant reminding, sitting up till a few moments later, constantly reminding yourself. And that's the practice of yoga. It's constant. It's not even daily. It's moment to moment, whatever you're trying to accomplish. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I don't know if I explained it very well. No, you explained yeah. it great. Yes, that's true, but also the balance between that and letting go as well. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> that your back is sore and you're just meant to just lay down yeah. instead, but... Yeah, coming back yeah. to checking in, coming back to what you're putting in your body. Yeah. You know, if you're putting in that meat, you know, have that connection with meat. I think hunting is fascinating if you're yeah. having that source yeah. for yourself. I think they practice a yoga like it slows things down, maybe boxing as well mm-hmm. or other physical sports, but it slows things down for you and you become much more aware of what exactly is part of your body, what you're putting into it. Mm. And I think in a way you're using it for fuel. Yeah. You know, you're, you're giving energy to yourself. And of course, meat's going to have a whole lot of high protein. Mm. Um, there's an article too about, you know, when we started eating meat as humans, how our brain size sort of just doubled and expanded, you know, dramatically. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah, so there's lots of benefits to meat. But like yourself, mm. I consider myself, well, not full vegetarian, but right now I'm in like in between a flexitarian. <laughs> I like that. I never heard that before. Yeah. Our culture, like the Italian culture, I just, yeah. you know, there's certain meats when they're fresh. Yeah. Especially in New York, you're going to these um, butcher shops and, you know, it's very tasty. Yeah. <laughs> put it that way. Yeah. So, quickly, last question. I know you just sort of started this week, and you told me briefly about it before we started. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so you you are starting besides all this teaching that you're doing mm-hmm. Reiki massage yoga um, you've also recently um, got involved in, in teaching defense well you explain it yeah not so much teaching the defense but being a part of it <laughs> so um, my new job is um, they call us role players and it's for um I work for the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. So it could be anything from military branches to maybe FBI students, um, court students, um, anything, any people that are training for um, real life scenarios. We would play out those scenarios so they can make the mistakes then and there as opposed to out on the real field. So that's a lot of combative work as well, fighting, shooting, uh, things like this. I mean, it could vary hugely. Um, So you might have to, you know, play out situations like you're trying to trip them up or put them in an unsafe situation and see if they can catch it and um, get themselves out of it or stay in control of it. And, you know, for me, I really like that because 
again, as I told you, I hadn't um, fought for a long time of my passion. And really, if I'm honest, my passion for boxing is all in the training. Not so much in competition? Not really in the competition. And not that I don't think that competition is bad um, or wrong or people shouldn't do it. But I think it all comes to you at different times in your life. And for me, I just don't find much fulfillment out of the competition. And I think maybe yoga has taught me that as well. That I really just don't care in my heart to be better than the next person. I don't even know what that means, to be honest. You know what I mean? I guess maybe that's why we put things like sports or whatever to try and show how we can be better than someone in a certain area. Mm. Again, I don't think anything's wrong with that. But, um, but at this point in my life, I just don't have a passion to try and be better than the next person. I just really like to focus on myself and trying to be a better version of myself and giving myself what I need to therefore be better for others as well and do the work that I need to do in the world, you know. So the competitive side doesn't really um, appeal to me at the moment because I, don't, I guess at the moment I don't find purpose in that. But I find the purpose in training and I find the purpose in using the fighting in ways that will help save people's lives potentially in the future. Mm. You know, if you get them in a bad situation and you're having to put up a fight or, you know, shoot a gun and puts them on the floor or perhaps dead in the real situation well then they're making the mistake there and then so I'm not training them, I'm playing out a situation of that they might face in the future this, this is tools for yeah. life yeah. versus death Yeah, uh, it sounds like um, so, and I'm very new to it so let's see what, what comes of it <laughs> that's so awesome but I like that aspect of it in fact I I just haven't been um, even sparring much even since I got back into boxing. Again, it's more about the training or training the clients to spar. Um, But all of a sudden, thinking about the purpose that the job has behind it, it has me really interested in sparring again and getting those skills where they need to be and being in those more, um, even more stressful situations. Well, it's so powerful um, what you are doing. what these things mean to you and also sharing your experiences in your teachings as well everything from your boxing your yoga mm-hmm. um, to the new work that you're doing and mm-hmm. the services that you're providing for Reiki Massage do you ever have times you feel like you're overloaded with all this and do you ever feel like oh no I'm ready for the next thing like are you interested in new hobbies and new interests or do you feel like you're content yeah Always, but I'm trying to rein it in lower. Right. <laughs> um, I have core things that I'm passionate about. Um, you know, health, fitness, nutrition, living a good, you know, lifestyle, whatever you might think that is personal to you. I mean, so these are just different. They might sound sporadic to some or opposites to some, but for me, they make complete sense. They all kind of tie together with those kind of core um, foundations that make me me really um so other hobbies yeah if they're another expression of what you know right. I'm passionate it's all about. kind of under that umbrella yeah of all of that yeah definitely um but no i'm trying to rein it in a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and stay focused yeah um i don't really but sometimes i can feel overwhelmed but the main thing i feel is like I don't have enough time to do everything that I want to do. Even when I was a kid, my mum jokes with me. She said, you know, you used to say that you would get so frustrated that one life wasn't enough to do everything that you wanted to do. So one thing that I don't necessarily think is a strength about me, I think it's good that I'm interested in a lot, but it doesn't, it's not always good that, um, you know, sometimes I don't always give my whole heart to one thing. Because I'm just, I love to... I love this and I love that and again it's all under the same umbrella but I really want to learn about this and this and this and this and this as well whereas some people might be really just so focused on one thing and they master that thing in their life or I don't know if I have that in me to become that master 
I would just really like to have good knowledge of all those things that fit underneath that umbrella, like you say. And that's and what that's makes you. Me. That's like what I can't. Makes you that's you. not a decision. That's not like yeah, I'd rather do that. That's just the way that I work. <laughs> so yeah. Well, it's totally inspiring for myself, but just for people listening, people hearing that you can have these passions, these interests, work hard, follow through with them, mm. and make it part of your your lifestyle. I think a lot of people have all these interests and they're so stuck in, you know, the the systems and mm. you know, it's hard to break out of it. But you're a true testament to say, Hey, you know, I love all these things mm. and you pursue them. So thank you for not that it's doing, always easy. Or right, I don't of fall course. back into it. But yeah, definitely you know, again, that constant reminder to try and think outside the box is so important. Yeah. So important, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for being a total <laughs> inspiration, a rock star, too. Oh, thanks for spending yeah. time with me. Yeah. <laughs> that is it, you guys. I hope you enjoyed this post-yoga talk with Bethany. Please take one more minute and go into your iTunes store, rate, comment, and please let me know what you think. If you'd like to reach out on any social media and connect, you can like the Facebook and Instagram page, Yoga with Joe. Thank you guys and take care.